Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Uh, it's great to have you along for today's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Owen Murphy and Ken are all here. Hi, guys. How are you, Owen? How are you, How are you Ken? Well, Murphy has been replaced by a what? middle-aged... No. Hurling, hurling man. No, no, I'm, I'm just speaking as I normally speak. When you're um, at home. No, when I, at all times. I don't have an at-home voice and a in-Dublin voice. That's an outrageous statement to make. We were ambling along nicely towards a big weekend with the Dublin Mayo game selling out Croke Park when this morning a nice big bombshell was dropped in the middle of Irish sport with the news that Billy Walsh, arguably our greatest coach in any sport, looks as though he's had enough of the Irish Amateur Boxing Association and is off to coach the American women's team, uh, which is staggering news, really. The Sun and the Inno had this this morning. Vincent Hogan writing that a package that had been agreed with the Irish Amateur Boxing Association last weekend to keep him at home, that was supposed to be brought for ratification on Tuesday night. That didn't happen because the association, according to Vincent Hogan, emailed on Tuesday uh, to say that they had uh, presumably emailed, it says via email, so presumably emailed Billy Walsh, to say they changed their stance on virtually every detail of the package, which is a little bit disturbing if you're Billy Walsh uh, and everything has changed and the rug's been taken out from under you. Now, the Irish Sports Council, they fund the high-performance unit, seem to be caught on the hop by this. They thought everything had been agreed. We've contacted the Sports Council today. who have told us that Billy Walsh is an employee of the IABA, so it wouldn't be helpful or appropriate to comment at this time, which stops a million miles short of a denial. And as far as we understand, nothing's been signed with the US boxing people but the threat of him leaving is very real. Uh, originally, I thought this might just be brinksmanship. There might be an element of playing a contractual negotiation game here. Uh, and that could still be the case. Hopefully, this can still be salvaged. But as we speak, it looks as though he could be off, which is terribly bad news for Irish sportmen. Uh, yeah, horrible, horrible. And the, we've seen this before, that uh, Billy Walsh has an idea of what it takes to get boxers to the absolute top level, and he's done it. Uh, time and time again since the Beijing Olympics uh, and he appears to me to be the only person in Irish boxing that actually has an idea of how this happens uh, both in the minutiae and in the the overall uh, vision that he has for Irish boxing Billy Walsh is 
probably the best coach we've ever had uh, in an international sport. I mean, I, 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 if Joe Schmidt goes and wins the Rugby World Cup uh, in a couple of months' time, then come back to me maybe. But uh, you've been counting up the medals. How many medals is it? Thirty-seven or something? Thirty-four since the Beijing to from the Beijing Olympics on, yeah. And that's that's we're just we're only counting Olympics, Worlds, and Europeans. Yeah, not even European Athletic European Union. Any of these? Uh, yeah. still very important events. These are the top major events. We've got thirty-four medals. It's extraordinary, it's <laughs> absolutely insane. extraordinary. And yeah. to the people who say that our, uh, Irish boxing has always been strong, just have a look at uh, twenty-five years before that. Yeah, just have a look. Uh, Billy Walsh has has built this on the back of the work of other of other people, certainly. But Billy Walsh is the face and the brains of the success of the Irish boxing team over the last. Uh, whatever it is, seven years, eight years. And the idea that you lose him as a result of some sort of power grab or uh, some some idea that people's noses might be out of joint that Billy Walsh is getting the credit for this. Well, he's uh, still not allowed to pick his own team. That seems to be a major bone of contention. I would imagine financially the contract he's on isn't what he should be on realistically do you remember a few years ago when I think it was after Gary Keegan had left as high performance director Billy Walsh was the obvious choice but he wasn't given that title and I'm just looking again today he's still named as the head coach of the high performance unit when actually he's the performance director of it he's in charge of that while he's also still coaching all the boxers I don't think he's getting necessarily a commensurate package it says that um, in the Vincent Hogan piece that the offer he's going to get would dwarf his current salary uh, and would also offer from America. Offer from America, yeah, and it would also include pension and health insurance, neither of which he gets in the IAPA, which uh, strikes me as a little bit, a little bit odd. Um, you, you see this, um, you see this all the time at uh, in amateur run uh, organizations like a GA county board that people just presume that because we're successful now, we'll always be successful, and. I, I can. That's what we're talking about. Mm. This uh, an idea that you can. Oh well, we've seen how it's done. How it's how it's happened once. All you have to do is just copy this guy. You know. Why, you know. Why would you bother paying him big bucks now? Sure. Can't we just do what he's what he's done? And it's it's just unbelievably backward thinking. And the 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 thought of losing Billy Walsh to the American women's boxing organization is just such a scary thought. Where it's only occurred to me now that he'd be coaching boxers against Katie Taylor. Ah, I didn't even... I had, that part of it hadn't actually crossed my mind. Mm, it definitely is right. women's. That's what, that's what I was reading this morning. Yeah. We'll talk shortly to... Not that men's would be much better. He'd be obviously coaching against a lot of the Irish guys. Anyway, listen, we'll talk shortly to a man responsible for winning three of the medals that you talked about there. Most recently, gold at the European Championships, Michael Condon. To get a sense, I don't know how clued in the boxers are to this. I'm not expecting him to confirm it in an eye a story on behalf of Billy Walsh, Michael, but I'm looking forward to just get a sense of how important Walsh is to our success and what his loss could mean to Michael Conlon and to the other boxers there. The other big news of the day, we've just watched it, Justin Gatlin's beaming smile draped in the American flag, strolling triumphantly around the Bird's Nest Stadium in Beijing after picking up a uh, runners-up medal, uh, a silver medal. I don't know why he would have reacted if he'd won, but he seemed delighted with himself. Well, look... um, I'm thankful. It's nearly as good as winning, I suppose. Mm. Um, well, yeah, it was it was uh, ultimately a pretty easy win for Usain Bolt. He was easing off uh, before he got to the finish line, so he was so far ahead at that stage, and he still did it pretty fast. Like nineteen fifty five is a fast time. Yeah. Um. So uh, he, yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite as uh, as dramatic as the the BBC commentators. I'm glad to report were able to uh, keep their knickers on this time, and. Uh, uh, most of the uh, problems resulted um, 
for Bolt later when a, a cameraman crashed oh, into him. Oh, oh. <laughs> so I'm just seeing this for the first time here, Ken. Can you describe what you're what you're watching there? There's a cameraman following. Usain Bolt is on his <laughs> he's on his uh, victory lap, and a uh, cameraman is following him on a. Segway, a sort of a, one of those specialized segways that doesn't even have a handle. It's just such a clever little um, device that all you need to do is just sort of stand on it, and it's it's basically you're never coming off that thing. You're like a, you're like one of those Russian uh, Russian dolls that you can't knock over. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. That's the theory. Um, but what happens here is that the cameraman who's following Bolt along about two meters behind him, and obviously he's paying intent. He's intent on Bolt's back. Actually, he's got the camera pointed at the back of Bolt's head. Uh, isn't paying attention to his Segway, which is about to collide with the little rail that the sort of trackside camera runs along, and uh, one of the wheels of the Segway sort of mounts that rail, causing it to sort of topple sideways. The man uh, puts too much forward pressure on it and careens feet, uh, feet first into Bolt, chopping him down at the ankles. Uh, but luckily also managing to... Uh, I mean, everyone's... everyone's fear Bolt's fall. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone's fear is that this, the six-foot-five-inch super athlete who's just uh, won uh, his second gold medal is about to break his coccyx as he slams into the track, uh, arse first. But luckily, uh, our cameraman at least manages to provide a fairly substantial cushion mm. for him. Uh, the 30,000 euro uh, camera that he's using takes a bit of a whack as well. I yeah. mean, I'm sure his director is having a quite word with him there as well. But I mean, of course, I have I have driven. Do you drive a Segway? Uh, you have. Ridden. I, I've, I, I, I've ridden a Segway live on national television. An, a nerve-wracking experience. How was it? Um, what was the context? Seen, do you not remember that? Uh, I rode into studio... Remember our, our TV show? Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, I thought it was some, some other project you've been working on. No, no, no. no. Murph's uh, Segway Tours. Uh, well, I, in rehearsal, I was initially nervous, yeah. then comfortable, then a little bit arrogant. Right. Uh, and then, as, you know, camera was about to roll, uh, I felt nervous again. <laughs> then extremely nervous. Then forgot entirely about how to drive the thing. Yeah. And then as... As at the moment when I was due to make my entrance, uh, suddenly remembered how to how to do it. But I mean, it was one of the most dramatic experiences. Well, all you have to do is sort of tip forward the little stick, right? And it's, it drives forward. I, you drive it with your feet. Effectively. It's a, you just sort of press your toes down a bit, and yeah, it moves and, forward. and on it goes. But I did I did have to hop off it as well uh, when I reached my destination, and it continued to run over one of our co-workers. Oh dear. Uh, I felt bad about that. Not, not very bad about that. Yeah. I mean, the the key thing for me was not to fall on my face yeah. or not to take out any audience members. If I took out Owen McDevitt, I'm thinking, well, short term for the for the show, bad. Long term, less likely to sue. That too, virality. And long, and long term, I mean, YouTube yeah. virality is off the charts. We're going to talk about the All-Ireland semi-final with Carl Mannion and John Casey in a little while and US Murph today on the latest sensation to hit the NFL. He's an Australian rugby league star, believe it or not. There's Jared Hain. How about that catch? Say hey. Good day, mate. He does this a couple more times. We're all going to be eating Vegemite up here. It's just shy of a Crocodile Dundee reference from the American commentators there, but Jared Hayne is one of the top NRL players. He's been two-time Rugby League Player of the Year in Australia. Decided to, I don't know if it was on a whim, I don't know the thought process, but he thought, why don't I play American football? That looks like a lot of fun. 
potentially in the long term could pay me a little bit better, even though I'm going over as a rookie and getting paid very little. So he's gone over. and But he's not a punter, as you can tell from that. It might be more likely that a kicker could maybe go and punt or, or hit field goals or whatever it might be. He's been returning punts and beating defenders all ends up. Looks really exciting. He's been the star of, probably the biggest star in the preseason, the city season in the NFL. So we're going to talk to you, Wes Murph, about him in a little while. Right now, how does it, how does the wage scale compare in NFL to well? At the moment, he said he said he's taking a big pay cut. Really? Uh, apparently, he was on about to start to start. Yeah. Well, I mean, you wouldn't you get very little as a as a rookie. Right. You would you'd be barely on a contract. Yeah. You know, it's it's you're you're like an unpaid intern. Not a million miles off, I would say. Uh, and I think he was getting like a million a year or something. As uh, oh, okay. and, but was he'd have one big season, which it looks like he's in the midst of doing. I'm sure he'd make up for that shortfall. Mm. And maybe he could he could convince uh, the San Francisco 49ers to give him some of the money that Channel 7 in Australia are thinking <laughs> of giving, uh, well, the NFL and the 49ers to broadcast every single one of the San Francisco 49ers games in Australia really? for the entire season. Oh, it's a huge on, story over what there. What time yeah. will they be on it, though? Uh, I have enough difficulty <laughs> going from here to Melbourne, from, rather uh, here than... Here to San yeah. Fran and then here to Melbourne without then asking me to... The Premier League games are on uh, awkward time scale. It doesn't mean they don't get a lot of viewers. It's true. I suppose it depends what time they kick off at as well, doesn't it? Let's get back to the Biddy Walsh story with the Olympic medalist, Commonwealth champion, and most recently in the last couple of weeks, European champion Michael Conlon. Michael, we spoke to you a couple of weeks ago. In happier circumstances, the very strong reports today are that Biddy Walsh will leave your setup. He's going to leave the Irish scene for a new post in America. Are you worried by these reports? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think Billy is a, a great asset, the Irish boxing. Him and uh, Zora Amphia, you know, they're, they're the both the two main people in Irish boxing. They're the backbone of the sport. And if, if we lost either one of them, it would really be a, a big hit for us, you know. Did you have any idea that this was going on in the background? Is it a total bombshell to you? Yeah, complete bombshell for me. You know, I only heard when it was in the paper the other day. I seen that uh, Kevin Burton put it up. So, you know, I was completely surprised and, and shocked that this is all going on. And, I don't think it's great timing with the World Championships and all coming up, so it's been a bit, been a bit of a roller coaster. You said there that uh, both himself and Zoranti are so important. What is it about Billy? What what has he done for you personally that uh, you say it, it'd be such a big blow to lose him? Yeah, well, Billy's a fantastic coach, you know, and he knows his stuff. He's, he's been around the block, he's been there, and he's experienced every country in the world we've been to, so it's been... He knows he knows the inside of the Irish boxing, and he's, he's, he's a great person to have in the corner because he is so calm. And it, I, I like having him in the corner. It's, it, he's a good person to be be in their corner because of his calmness. And uh, I don't know. It's just I, I think it's I think it's very very silly if if he's if he's off. We talked to you after your win in the Europeans about the possibility yeah. of turning professional after the Olympic Games, Michael. If Billy Walsh does go, would that make that decision even easier for you? Yes, one hundred percent. You know, I think. Uh, there is good coaches there to come in and fill in, but I think it'll be very hard to fill Billy's Billy shoes at the minute because the work he's put in with us and, and uh, over the last, for me, over the last eight years it's going to be. And uh, it's going to be very hard for Irish boxing to come back from it. So you don't think it's possible just to slot somebody else in there and carry on as normal? No, not right away. I think it'll have to take time and a lot of work because, you know, there only is one belly walk to be honest so there is a lot of coaches and a lot of good coaches including my father so you know it's you have to be there and experience it all and know what you're doing when you're in them countries and in them situations and 
that, that experience, and that's, that's the thing that makes him so important. I presume you've been talking, you, you mentioned your dad there, you, the, I presume you've been chatting to the other boxers about all this. Uh, do you, would you give Billy Walsh a call himself? How do you, would you, I'm sure you want to find out as much as everybody else what exactly is going on here. So you'd like to, at this age, whoever has to make the decisions, just put out all the stops to keep him and, and that's that, yeah. Yeah, so he is, he is the backroom of the Irish Boxing Association, him and Zora. And, uh, you know, Zora's obviously coach as well, and he's, he'd be the only reason that, the only reason that I'm sending Zora with him is because if Billy goes in, Zora will go too. That would be a big, big, big loss for Irish Boxing because Zora's the guy that changed the whole setup, him off Billy, but with his tactics and technical stuff, it's it's been completely amazing for Irish Boxing. And what, what, what both of them have done over the last 10, 10 15 years, it's been phenomenal. So if, if we lose either of them, it's going to be a big, big loss. Yeah, well, hopefully something can get sorted out at the last minute. Listen, Michael, it's been great for you. Uh, great for you to take the call today. Thanks a million. Cheers, thank you. All right, Michael Conlon there. Uh, sorry about the quality of the line at times there. Michael was on the move, but I think it was clear enough, and we got a good sense of the fact that the boxers themselves are in the dark over this. Michael only heard it when he read it in the paper. This is absolute madness. We're, we're we sit around every four years, watch the Olympic Games, give out about the Irish athletes not being up to the standards required to even make finals. Here we have a European champion who's going to go in as one of the favourites to win a gold medal at the Olympics. And his plans and that of a number of other medal contenders are thrown totally into disarray less than a year out. He says himself, this is the kind of thing that will make it a lot more likely to go professional. And he also mentions Zorantia, who could be out the door with Billy Walsh. I know earlier on you were saying Billy Walsh is the one man, and he certainly is, but as... Uh, Michael himself there says it, 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 Billy's the one man who knows both sides of it the the organisational side I guess and the technical side Zorantia the guys adore him as a technical boxing coach apparently he's brought all these amazing ideas over from Georgia so it's it's madness really the IBA does get all this reflected glory it's something you reflect you talk, mentioned earlier on as well Mer, from Olympic success people think oh boxing the boxing authorities have obviously obviously done a great job. Look at all the medals we've won in recent years. But they weren't exactly flooding in in the 25 years in between time before Gary Keegan and Billy Walsh took the thing on. I'd be quite worried just from what I heard here from Michael there that the boxers are as concerned as everyone else about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary. Um, you can only push Billy Walsh so far... And they've obviously tried to do this. You mentioned the the, the refusal to give him the, the job when... Uh, uh, well, the, I think they gave him the job without necessarily giving him the title. <laughs> and when you don't yeah. have the title, that, that sometimes has knock-on effects to salary and benefits and so forth. Yeah, uh, yeah, absurd, absurd. But, I mean, the, the fact that it hasn't been 100% confirmed yet gives you hope that, you know, and well, what really gives you hope, actually, is the fact that it's blatantly clear Billy Walsh doesn't want to be in the US coaching the uh, US women's boxing team. That's not what he wants to do. And he he doesn't want to bankrupt the uh, Irish Boxing Association either. All he wants to do is be given the tools to do his job right. That's all he wants. So you would think that you can get to a stage where, okay, the apocalyptic vista of this without Billy Walsh becomes clear to everyone involved and 
it gets solved. So we hope that that's what happens over the next 48 hours. I can't describe how excited I am about Dublin Mayo in the All-Ireland semi-final this weekend. Uh, sellout. I'll be honest, when I first heard this was going to be a sellout, I thought it was one of those, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about a sellout. It'll hype things up and ultimately 70-something thousand tickets will be sold. But uh, the GA confirmed as recent as uh, early as Tuesday or Wednesday this week that not or no more tickets on general sale, uh, which is a huge achievement for a semi-final. We're joined by Carol Manning. We'll be talking to John Casey, former Mayo player, of course, who's now involved as co-commentator with Midwest Radio, and we'll be commentating at the game. But Carol is in studio. Great to talk to you again, Carol. Uh, are you as excited as me? Very excited, Owen. This is the third installment of one of the best rivalries in the last uh, four or five years in GA. Uh, these have had, these guys have had some great battles. The two uh, matches in recent times, the final and obviously the semi-final in 12 and 13. Fantastic games, really tight. Uh, possibly a little bit of bad blood between the teams. There was a bit of niggle maybe in a couple of those games. And uh, Mayo haven't got over the, the end line just yet. So You're sounding like Conor McGregor here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it does, it feels to me almost more like an All-Ireland final. Even the ticket, the fact that it's sold out, it rarely happens for an All-Ireland semi-final. Yeah, well, like maybe the fact that like the kind of... the it's been a slow burn this year as well the football championship that everyone's kind of waiting for like finally a Desperate big, for a it, big, yeah. big game to come along and this is one like both teams have very good form coming into this both teams have good form the last few years so I couldn't imagine this game being a blowout or a one-sided game I can imagine being very tight with a lot of action a lot of action close to the goals with Aidan O'Shea Bernard Brogue on the other end so it could be a very exciting game and very tight John Casey people are excited may I assume Unbelievable! Here, flags flying out the door of the shop this morning. I have to say, um, it is. It, it's a mouth, as Carol said. There, it's a, there's a mouth-watering clash in in, uh, in store for us on on Sunday. Um, you've got some of the biggest players in in, in the GAA, um, not only competing on the same pitch, but basically going to be squaring up to each other. So something's going to give. Both of them have been hugely impressive this year. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Excitement is building here. Everyone has gone crazy. And as you said, sold out semi-final. Whoever heard of it? Has everyone got behind, I presume the players have anyway, got behind the management team? Because James Horne was so popular, particularly amongst the players, and the circumstances weren't ideal. Maybe of Noel Canelli and Pat Holmes taking over. There was talk of them being a real uh, sort of county board appointees as opposed to who the players might have necessarily wanted. Is that all water under the bridge at this, at this stage? I think it's all water under the bridge. I mean, you're, I'm sure you guys are well aware that the rumours were rife about player unrest and players not happy with the way things have been brought forward. But I would have played with, with James Horne and, of course, with Noel and Pat as well. And Noel and Pat is certainly like James Horne brought a serious professionalism to it. I mean, Pat and Noel would be more like wear it on your sleeve type of characters that do it for your jersey type of guys. But I'm sure as time has progressed, they would have bought into the idea of how professional it has become. They would have talked to their leaders, their Killian O'Connors, their, their Aidan O'Shea's, their Higgins just to see how things have been done properly but from what I gather it's a, it's a better roses in the camp at the moment and, and they certainly have progressed and they have learned a lot um, I know all three that you mentioned there reasonably well and but Noel and Pat certainly have, have, have got the county on their side now I think that maybe people were hedging their bets in relation to the job that uh, Noel and Pat had been doing uh, so far this year given the fact that they were probably always going to beat Galway barring you know a huge improvement in, in Galway's ability you know, Sligo in the current final was probably a gift that they weren't expecting uh, when you saw Roscommon on the other side of the draw. But it was really, it was the last day that maybe changed people's idea of Mayo and particularly the the, the stationing of Barry Moran as a sweeper, which was uh, not just the sort of tactical versatility that we haven't seen from Mayo. It's actually, it was a real uh, out-of-nowhere uh, solution to uh, someone playing a sweeper role that we haven't seen from any other team. A guy playing 
back there at six foot five. Uh, when everyone else's a general idea of you know the perfect sweeper is a guy like Mark McHugh or Ryan McHugh or something like that, you know a short guy who can zip across the the full back line and tr- and try and sweep up that area. Basically, the that showed the Barry Moran decision showed a tactical versatility maybe that we had that we didn't see from Mayo under James Horan. Even is is would that be fair? Well, yeah, I mean, everybody is wondering what would have happened if we had probably Barry Moore sitting in front of Kieran Donaghy last year in the semi-final. Who knows? But um, I, I think what's even more impressive the shrewdness of the fellas to, to take on that decision, to make that decision with Barry Moore. But how quiet it was kept was even more impressive in my eyes. I mean, I was in Crow Park um, commentating on the game and I, I couldn't believe that somebody said to me, I heard Barry Moore might be playing nice at I said Parsons and Seamus O'Shea can't be dropped, so where is he going to go? So, you know, the tactical awareness for them to, to do that and keep it so quiet was massively impressive. And not only was Barry Moran very good from a defensive point of view and snuffing out the threat of, of Michael Murphy aerially, he also came up and contested the Donegal kick-out. And, you know, you have Tom Parsons and Seamus O'Shea on top of their game at the moment. And then when you throw Barry Moran into the mix, so, you know, the three big men competing very well. for. But you have to take your hat off. But... Again, I think we're going to mention that Barry Moran won't be the answer for a sweeper. I know the Mayo team just got picked recently. Barry Moran won't be the answer for a sweeper against Dublin, so it'll be interesting to see what they'll, they'll go this time round. Yeah, the choice of actually Moran was interesting uh, because clearly the Mayo manager have seen all year what Aidan O'Shea has been doing with a strong fullback and a normal sweeper, like a smaller player. He's basically been throwing that sweeper aside. So when they saw Murphy in there, Mayo have learned hard lessons about Murphy before. The sweeper had to be a physical person. They couldn't have put back uh, a Kevin McLaughlin because Murphy, if he gets that ball on a bit of a loop, he's just going to brush him out of the way. So it, they had the ev- evidence, what they saw, what was working for O'Shea this year. So. Yeah, and, and maybe the, the solution was found in training given the fact that what they had was Aidan O'Shea. I mean, the... the the, the the crash test dummy for Michael Murphy was a guy who's every bit as good as Michael uh, as Michael Murphy at the moment yeah. in playing that full forward position. So, uh, but I mean, it, it still took a degree of a degree of balls from Mayo yeah. to 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 make a decision like that that kind of went against the grain of current football thinking as it stands right now. Do you think, Carl, Dublin have? that tactical versatility in their armory? Uh, well, I think, I would like to think that over this year, Jim Gavin has been working on it because obviously last year when the Donegal set up the way they did and the Dublin half-back line got dragged up the pitch and they had all that space, Dublin didn't react in-game, which would lead you to believe that there was no preparation done for that eventuality happening before the game. Now, if he goes into a game this year, Jim Gavin, and something goes wrong tactically and there's no response, well then, it's his own fault if it goes wrong. Yeah. He has to have something ready in case... Uh, Aidan O'Shea is there on the edge of the square doing damage. Now, my own belief is that initially he will trust his man, he'll trust Rory O'Carroll, because Rory O'Carroll hasn't been cleaned out by a big man at all in his career. I can't remember anything too uh, too uh, close to in, in championship in the last few years. So this is the, the, the trust your man start to the game. Like, say, what they did with Cafferty and Donny last year on Mayo, that's what they, they trusted their man, it, wor- it worked against them. He'll obviously trust his man initially, I think, but he has to have something in case O'Shea is winning ball. Uh, setting up scores, scoring a goal, and like the fact of O'Shea scoring a goal would be a massive psychological boost for Mayo and blow for Dublin if it happens. They can't let O'Shea score a goal on Sunday. Like the Joe Canny analysis you did a few years ago, Murph, when Goal played Kilkenny, it was one of your greatest sport moments to see it. The place goal went mental. Everyone, yeah. Everyone's expecting O'Shea to get a ball, turn, and boom on Sunday. 
if that happens, more are on, on the yeah, way. The psychological, psychological impact is greater than just the three points yeah. on the scoreboard. Murph did remind me, though, Carl, before we started this interview, that at this time last year we were talking about Mayo and you described Aidan O'Shea as an immature footballer. Right. Yeah, yeah now I've forgotten yeah. already. Has he matured in the last year? Well, my comment last year was uh, as a midfielder. And I think it had been shown in the Dublin game the final year before that the mobility of the Dublin midfield and his game management wasn't up where it needed to be for a midfielder. And that's how I made the comment last year. As a full forward, I think he is a more mature full forward and has a show on it this year. Uh, what I would really love to see on Sunday is him setting up a goal rather than scoring one. Uh, I think Gavin has to be preparing for the fact that he'll win ball and then they'll swarm him straight away. So if the Mayo forwards are very sharp around him and O'Shea is alive to the fact that he's going to be swarmed, he could actually create goals rather than scoring them on Sunday. John, are you confident that Aidan O'Shea will make that, that same sort of impact? That he, and Carl's talking here about wanting him, uh, if Mayo were going well, you'll maybe see him create goals as well as score them. Are you confident that will happen? Yeah, well, he certainly won't be afforded uh, the, the room he was given. I suppose Finney and Hanley uh, suffered greatly at Northern Todd Hill with Aidan O'Shea. Um, this, the whole Sligo defence suffered in the Connacht final. You know, he gave the McGee's plenty to think about in the All-Ireland quarterfinal. And Jim Gavin um, will certainly be uh, airmarking Rory O'Carroll for a big afternoon, but I, I certainly think he won't be asking Rory O'Carroll to do that on his own. Um, you see the Mayo team is picked now, of course, with Barry Moran inside in the full forward line. He may stay in there um, with Aidan O'Shea for a period of time and, and they may bombard them with a couple of high balls. Um, Aidan O'Shea has been a revelation this year. Um, the, the performances, I think, of Tom Parsons in the middle of the field have allowed Mayo to use O'Shea as a, as a, as a major threat at full forward besides uh, wondering whether to bring him out the field or not. But for me, the likes of Aidan O'Shea uh, winning ball and in the edge of the square needs to get the likes of Killian O'Connor is having a mixed season. He's carrying a bit of a knee and I think you can tell from his free taking in the quarterfinal he's struggling a little bit. But um, Aidan O'Shea right now is unmarkable. Jim Gavin is going to have a lot of work to do to see how they're going to combat his threat. Carl, quite a few people have been tipping up Mayo here and I have a sneaking suspicion they'll do it as well. But maybe I'm falling into the same trap that a lot of people are and that is that because we haven't seen Dublin have to get into anything above second, third gear, probably second gear for the entire year. And the fact that the last close game they were involved in, they were beaten in the All-Ireland semi-final last year. Maybe we're forgetting about some of the positives and the, the, that they, just because they haven't been tested, doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to be able to unleash some of those, some, some of the skill set that they have in this game. Yeah, no, I'm not at all worried about Dublin being undercooked or off the pace coming into this game. Like, they've won two All-Irelands in recent past coming from Leinster. Like, the first 20 minutes last year against Donegal was the best football they played in 2014 after how many meanless games leading into that. It was just a tactical blunder that ended up Donegal got the better of them last year. So, no, I have no, I have no worries about Dublin not being ready to get into this game. They have that little bit of rivalry in Mayo. They want to win their All-Ireland back. Like, they responded well after they lost their Ireland the last time. So no, I expect Dublin to get off to a good start, actually get a few points up, maybe even a goal early on. But the reason why people do like this Mayo team and back them is because they're very easy to like. Like A team that doesn't win but keep coming back and keep coming back, like yeah, you have to like them, irrespective of whether you're from Mayo or not. It's a very admirable trait, like, and a lot of people just want them to win, but they have shown this year, like, you know, they have a little switch in their tactics. They're willing to obviously make a move like the Barry Moran move be interesting to see if there's any similar move the next day. I don't think there will be. I just think the Mayo matchups, they can match up against the Dublin better players. There's no mismatch like Murphy in there for them. Brogan can, uh, Higgins can take Brogan, Key can take Connolly, Boyle can take uh, uh, Paul Flynn. They're good matchups on Dublin's best players and the reason I think more of them back in the last day was because they couldn't match up properly on Murphy. Yeah, and they're, and they're good matchups that don't ask your team to do anything 
massively different to what they would normally do in their in their game as well. But John, the, you know, the, this idea that you're you're trying to get into the male psyche is a thing that you know probably has sold more newspapers and uh, devoted more hours of airtime than anything else in Irish sport over the last. Not forgetting the books that have been written years. as well, and you know, and it's all it's all pretty pointless, but. If you could speak for your county for a moment, do you think that that uh, people are more confident this year than they have been over the last number of years? Has there been enough of a change from the teams that couldn't quite get over the line to the team that goes out against Dublin on Sunday to give Mayo people real confidence that this is this is the year? Well, there's not a big massive difference in, in personnel, but I think the one difference, uh, Mark, that everybody is talking about down here is, is my own clubmate Tom Parsons' uh, performances at midfield. I mean, Tom has been uh, reasonably unlucky um, down the years. Uh, he got let go by James Horn, I think, in before the start of the championship two eleven. Um, he's come back in, then he's moved away to, to Wales, working, came back, um, worked really hard on his fitness and on, on his general game. And you know, as, as I mentioned here, his performances and along with his brothers have enabled Mayo to to kind of release. Um, Aidan O'Shea to full forward so Parsons has pretty much been the in the, the, the new the, the reason or the difference between last year and this year had he been fit last year for the full uh, duration against Kerry who knows what might have happened I think Patrick Durkin uh, if I'm not mistaken is the only Mayo debutant this year which is quite unusual normally through a season you'd have one or two um, he's come on in a couple of the games but other than that it's the same personnel but for me the big difference is Parsons in the middle of the field he's himself and Seamus O'Shea have been dominating all the games they've played Very quick predictions then John do you think Mayo will do it? Yeah they're going to have to play very well you can you can read my exclusive column in the Mayo Advertiser tomorrow <laughs> Nicely done Nicely done Casey well played I have, I, have been, I have gone on record of tipping Dublin since day dot not that it took rocket science to come out with that one or anything for me the three best teams in the country are left uh, as of now, one of the big guns are going to be gone on Sunday afternoon. I hope it's Dublin. Carl? Yeah, actually, like John, I was looking at Dublin from the start of the year as well, but I'm going to turn my back on them as well. I just think they are <laughs> going to edge, edge it by a point. Uh, just think that the the flexibility they showed the last day to shut down Murphy, that they're going to pick out the threats and the Dublin team. They're going to be able to match up on their best forwards. I think they're going to close down the mobility of McCauley and Fenton breaking from midfield and the half-back line breaking forward. I just don't think Dublin are going to create enough uh, scoring chances because Mayo are going to be able to stop them that way and Aidan O'Shea to get a goal in the second half to win it for them. Sure, we may as well turn up. As, as Kerry fans often say, sure, we may as well turn up anyway and give it, give it a crack. Listen, It'll John, be a grand big crowd on. Anyway, big so crowd, you should big, have a good big day. Big day out for the Dublin fans. Win, lose, or draw. Listen, John Casey, Carl Mannion, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, guys. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians. And as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. I think we did end up speaking quite a lot about Mayo there and not as much about Dublin. Uh, Carl felt quite confident that the key Mayo defenders will be able to match up well against the key Dublin forwards, Connolly, Brogan and Paul Flynn. But I don't think you mentioned Kieran, Kieran Kilkenny at the end there, Murph, nope. who's my tip for the top this year. <laughs> Kieran Kilkenny on the scene now about three or four years at senior level. is, But Kilkenny, in his first year as a full senior, uh, yeah, it was his first year as a full senior, he'd come on uh, towards the end of the championship campaign the previous year. But a couple of years ago, played really well in the early rounds. Um faded out a little bit as did Jack McCaffrey and a couple of the other young mm. lads and uh, yeah, well, there yeah. was that year there was enough to get Dublin over the line last year was out injured this year has been absolutely superb again and looks really looks more confident than he was he's obviously been over to Australia and back and a lot of things have happened in his career but he, he looks absolutely huge and also 
what is it about Michael Darren McCauley that all of a sudden people have decided he's not very good? I've kind of got this sense that, well, Macaulay, you know, he's, he's good. It's almost like a GA snobbery around that. Uh, have you ever seen a, him catch a ball over his head? Well, this mm. is the footballer of the year from a couple of years back. Am I wrong about that? That people suddenly uh, think every, every team has an advantage over Dublin in the midfield area? Well, I think, uh, I think in a fair fight, as uh, Dara O'Shea was writing yesterday, in a fair fight, uh, Tom Parsons, James O'Shea probably are better midfielders in our understanding of the term. They're probably better midfielders than Michael Darren McCauley. Well, better at catching high balls over their head. But surely the engine that McCauley has and his running ability with the ball is as key a part of midfield play now as catching a ball over someone's head is. Uh, oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, but I mean, I, th- I think in the, the, the traditional understanding of the word, that, that that's why there's always a, perhaps a, a reluctance to say he's the best midfielder in the country because the word midfielder isn't just a position. There's also... A, you know, there's, it's the far more large, uh, far more larger thing that Daryl Shea goes on about, uh, and because he was one of the far more largers uh, <laughs> than school. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to stop the Irish now. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I think that there is a reluctance to call him one of the best midfielders in the country because, by a traditional understanding of the phrase, he's not really the best of those types of midfielders. What he does for Dublin is, as we've seen, crowned. Uh, player of the year by the same GA snobs that you're saying are uh, no I know I don't know why their there's snobbery has only come out this year that's what I'm saying yeah well see I think you just have just... to redefine the definition of the midfielder in yeah. GA we've and Macaulay's doing em- it better em- than most embrace certain uh, certain parts of modern football and then the, especially around that midfield area there's still yeah. this idea that mm, well, I, I, you, I think you, need, that... you need your far larger as you said yeah I think it's uh, I think it's actually uh, it's of a piece with what people are are talking about in relation to Dublin before this game. We, as you said, s- said to the guys there, it's actually been so long since we've seen any of these players operating at a level where they're uncomfortable that you do start questioning. You, you, it's only natural that you go back to the last serious game they played and that, that last serious game happens to be a year ago when a lot of their mistakes are, were, or a lot of their frailties were, were revealed. Close, yeah. And we haven't seen anything since except one-sided games. So... Uh, yeah, a lot of people are tipping Mayo as a result, and I I'm kind of favouring Mayo. I'm kind of favouring Mayo as well. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm, but I'm now starting to. D- Darrow Shea said in his column, people will back away from that prediction as the week goes on. And mm. I'm starting to back away. If we if we did an extra podcast tomorrow, I might end up tipping up Dublin. But... I told you it was Mayo. I told you so. Yeah, he did say that. Yeah. In fairness, Ken did say. But he called it about what? three weeks ago, I think. Yeah. Well, the game I, hasn't been played yet. I though. I told you so. <laughs> in advance yeah, so. Mayo have to beat Dublin and Kerry before winning the All-Ireland that you told us they were going to win but well, I'm telling you I'm I telling you say- now I told you before I'm telling you again and I, I, will, I will tell you so after right now you're going to tell us what's on the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast that's yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really well, you can laugh the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I want to be like me what are you doing down here, you me, man? <laughs> well, Owen, uh, we are going to talk, or rather we have talked, uh, about uh, a number of things. Wayne Rooney's Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashley Madison. Oh, yeah. And how useless it, in fact, was. Uh, what else? 
What was the other thing? Everton. We talked about Everton. And we also, about Everton. And we also explained, well, we talked to Raphael Hornstein about the Kevin De Bruyne and a couple of other German football issues, including uh, unpacking a, a new piece of uh, footballing jargon. Which, I'm going to forward sell a little bit more, Ken, if you don't mind. Mm. Which Premier League club owner, chairman, owner, did Ken Early once? Chairman. S- chairman. And isn't he an, he's, he's owner. the owner as well? He's also a theatre empresario. That's the other clue. Oh, okay, <laughs> Did Ken once stand beside in a toilet at Goodison Park and have a chat with, or maybe not have a chat? No, we with. didn't have a chat. We didn't I chat. Think it's pretty clear. You don't chat in that situation. To all of the amateur sleuths out there, our answer is revealed. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you don't. You don't actually chat in that. Well, situation. you didn't chat, but but you wouldn't chat. To chat to you wouldn't. If you if, if, would, you would you seriously? I wouldn't, but I, I've often been engaged in chatter. Oh really? How yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, I mean, if you if you went went to Ural and then at the, suddenly at the next one is like you well, saying both. I was at. Yeah. A, Do I was, you say hello? Ken, I was at a urinal once. Nice work, champ. <laughs> Ryle Nugent was at the urinal. Yeah. Just minding his own business, you know, uh, as most people do in that situation. Yeah, of course. Somebody walked in. You could see these two guys whispering and looking over, pointing around. You know, that's your Ryle Nugent there. And the next time one of them stands directly behind him. It's a try for Tommy Bo. <laughs> You're kidding me. Yeah. This is something that actually happened. Oh, I, and I would imagine it might happen quite a lot, judging by Ron Nugent's very polite reaction, oh, uh, but also man. sort of a, a put down, you know, something along the lines of, yeah, that's actually the first time I've ever heard that one. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I saw that God, scene. that's like, that could be the cringiest interaction <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire life. It's time now oh. to go down under with US Murph. Don't look me like that, Kieran. It'll make sense in a minute. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Brian Murphy, I've been spending the month of August watching every second of every San Francisco 49ers preseason game, as I like to do. <laughs> and I've come across this absolute superstar, Jared Hayne. Well, of course. We love our Australian rugby here in the NFL, right? Are you kidding me? I mean, my God. By the way, I love in the uh, – and I know we got feedback last time on the new Skype connection, right? Am I, oh, yeah. Am I in your ears, guys? Am I, I in know. your ears? You're all right up there? in our brains at the moment, Brian. That's how – I'm all up in the brain. <laughs> so anyway, just to right. say that. But, yeah, we got a big story brewing here stateside, and it relates to international sports. How good is that? Instead of just being uh, inward-looking Americans – we actually looked beyond our borders for once, uh, which I'm sure Donald Trump would probably have a problem with, right? <laughs> I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the Trump rant on uh, we got to stop Australian athletes <laughs> taking our jobs, you know. But Build a uh, wall. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know we've had Australian punters before. Darren Bennett was a punter for the San Diego uh, Chargers, and a couple other kickers who are uh, my names escaping me right now. But we've never had a true football player, like a position player, an every-down player. And we still don't because we don't have official rosters until the first week of the season, which is September 13th is opening day. Actually, technically, I believe there's a Thursday night game on Thursday, September 10th. And the 49ers don't play until Monday, September 14th, which would be when Jared Hayne, or as – and forgive – I know we have a lot of listeners in Australia, and I know that. 
mm-hmm. because I saw the video you guys made of your trip to San Francisco, mm-hmm. and it was amazing, and I was emotional. As I was dabbing at the tears in my eyes, I saw at the end you guys made a shameless plea for your next <laughs> world stop, and you included some Australian cities in there, I believe, right? Yeah, well, well, it's a great oh, sporting right. country, Brian. It's a yeah. great sporting country. Uh, long traditional links to Ireland dating back to the 19th century. I mean, it would have been remiss of us not to include our, our Australian cousins. <laughs> So I'm going to say this then to the Australian cousins. Forgive my pronunciation here, but I believe they call him Jaredane. Jaredane. Right? <laughs> That's just an accent. That's not really pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> I call him Jared Hain. They call him Jaredane. Right? Uh, yeah. No? Is that working? That's, yeah, that that's working? enough yet. Right. That's actually so a pretty anyway. good Australian accent, I, I have to say. That could have gone a he's, lot worse. Uh, he's an Australian rugby star who said his dream was to play in the NFL. And in, so, you know, that's intriguing enough because the guy's in the prime of his career. He's 27 years old. Now, we see this with Japanese baseball players or Cuban baseball players. They want to come, or Dominican, you know, Venezuelan, whatever. Um, but I guess Japan would be the best analogy because um, they have a thriving league where, where those guys make a lot of money and they're stars. But there, a few of them have said they want to come and play in the United States Major League Baseball because they feel like it's the best in the world because it includes all the Latin players and all the American players, etc. Well, here we go. Um, you have this Australian guy who's a rugby player, and you guys are going to have to help me out a little bit. I do know some rugby. I'm not a total American moron on rugby. But I, I you know, to place Australian rugby league stardom in context, it's my impression this guy was as big as it gets. He was the MVP and for him to walk away, it's almost like, uh, I don't know if the analogy is just Barry Bonds deciding to come to Ireland to play hurling or something. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, but he's doing great is the moral of the story. We've played two preseason games, and the act of returning a punt seems to be almost a genetic DNA match for his skill set, which is open field running in rugby. And so it's almost like, in some ways, he's like, yeah. This is no problem at all. Are you kidding me? I've been doing this all my life. And so the first two games, he's broken several outstanding punt returns. Now, again, it's preseason. You know, we're not there yet. He still has to contribute to the point where he has to – you can't just give a roster spot to a punt returner per se. He's got to prove his worth in many other ways because it would be sort of unusual to burn a roster spot simply for a punt returner. Usually those guys are wide receivers or running backs or defensive backs – but this guy may be the exception. So, yeah, he is breakaway by far the number one story of the 49ers preseason. And really the NFL. Yeah, his place on the roster should be secure. I mean, the guy already has a song written after him for crying out loud. Let's have a listen. Now, Brian, don't even try to tell me that's not a catchy June. <laughs> that is, I gotta be honest. It, first of all, I hope that wasn't the rival morning show in San Francisco that made that. Who made that? Oh, I haven't checked. I just came across it today on the internet. 
Well, you got this could be crushing. I don't know who made it. I'm, I'm I get a panic. Are the guys across the street from us making better songs than us? That's my question because that was very yes, it was catchy. Was don't, it? Don't name don't name the, your rival station. We don't want to we don't want to hear about those bums. Okay, they've they've they've, <laughs> they've, on, they've one good one good hit in what like fifteen years. Forget about it, Brad. Forget about those guys. I like that. Very good. Very good. It is catchy. Hey, sometimes when the opposition does well you have to tip your cap or was it out of australia do we know oh we don't know honestly this is all the information all the information i have has already been played yes it's a song that i saw on the internet (laughs) and uh now played on air uh brian so a lot of australian cliches being used there that's why i thought it might have been a california song yeah good day time to eat the vegemite this kind of stuff has there been any crocodile dundee no 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 it's just like it was done by fans okay so it wasn't done by the rival the rival morning. That's my immediate fear. Is I'm always thinking about the competition. I'm always thinking about getting better. You so like you guys. You know, there's some other podcast lurking out there that's uh, that's you know always trying to steal your thunder. Yep. No, this was done by apparently by fans. Excellent. Simply fans. Do you guys like it? Well, I'm gonna have to say I do, Brian. I I, I saw Jared Haynes song press play with all the low expectations that I've it's come to attach to these kind of lower. songs. Yeah. But now I'm go- I'm not gonna lie. Ever since I played it earlier on today to myself, I, I can't get it out of my head, which is a sign of a great pop that slash rap is, tune. That is awesome. Well, it's funny. I just went to my, as we're talking, I went to my internet and Googled it. And it says, this video contains content from the NFL who has blocked it in your country on copyright grounds. <laughs> Screw you, NFL. Screw you, Roger Goodell. We're playing it out. <laughs> Screw you, Brian Murphy in America. But you can watch it in Ireland because the NFL copyright laws don't apply there, I guess. So uh, that's mm. good. Well, yeah, what a story. And so we'll see. You know, they have another game this Saturday at Denver. And and um, that's usually traditionally the third preseason game in the NFL is when the starters play the longest. And we'll see what he does. I mean, it certainly is. Listen, the 49ers, we, we've talked about this, has had maybe the worst offseason, some are saying, in NFL history in the sense that they lost, first of all, they fired a very successful head coach. They brought in an incredibly unproven head coach. And then the defection of talent was second to none. One of the great defensive linemen of his era, Justin Smith, retired. One of the great linebackers of his era, Patrick Willis, retired. One of the great young pass rushers in all of football, Alden Smith, got arrested and and cut from the team. One of the great young linebackers uh, in all of football to, to be a rookie, Chris Borland, Stunningly announced that he was retiring because of head trauma fears and has now become an ESPN cause celeb with his uh, incredibly thoughtful uh, perspective on the violence in football. And then an offensive lineman who was one of the better offensive linemen in the NFC West, Anthony Davis, at a young age retired because of head trauma. So the 49ers got so many incredible body blows to their franchise and their image and their talent that this guy is like the one-man image saver, Jared Hain. And so he is uh, easily the, the thing that people are rallying around right now. And hell, they're making songs about him, guys. Uh, this, this is very interesting from our point of view as well, because he played rugby league. And without getting too uh, dorky and into it with you, Brian, there are basically two types of rugby played in the world. There's rugby league and there's rugby union. They split about 100 years ago, uh, or 120 years ago, uh, because rugby union was amateur and rugby league was professional. So there are a number of like rule differences between the sports. And in the past, say there would have been a lot of defections from rugby union to rugby league before rug- rugby union became professional because in rugby league you could get paid and you could make a living out of it. Uh, since rugby union went professional, 
there have been a lot of defections the other way. So rugby league players deciding to play in rugby union because rugby union is more of a globalised sport. There's a World Cup and all the rest. So there, we're actually quite used to rugby league players really struggling to adapt to rugby union. And we're talking about, you know, quite subtle changes in the game. The, you know, compared to the leap you have to make from rugby league to NFL, I mean, the changes uh, between rugby league and rugby union are minuscule. And yet it's still seen as a big thing Will the best rugby league players be able to convert their natural skill sets to rugby union? So the idea that a rugby league player can just go over to the NFL and, as you say, just there's something in his DNA that makes it just right. I'm just catch the ball, run with the ball, wait until I get tackled. You know, it 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 it's obviously not as as easy as that, as as uncomplicated as that. So the fact that he can do this and make such an impression, even if it is in preseason, and even if he you know, like he's not being talked about just as a curiosity. The guy is being considered to join one of the great franchises in American sport and actually play at the top level. It is actually mind-boggling from our perspective that a guy can do this. Yeah, I get it. You know, I mean, I understand. It's 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 stunning. Although I'm wondering how much of a one-off he is. I wonder if there are other Jared Hain types that could come over and do this, given that the skill set seems to be so matched for something like punt returning. Now, punt returning is a specialty. You're only going to get, what, three or four touches a game, maybe five. And now, and also, if you become a really good punt returner, like Deion Sanders or Devin Hester, Tim Brown, the great punt returners of our eras in the, in the last few decades, you begin to kick away from the guy, and you don't give him his chances. So, now that still helps the team field position-wise, because the kickers are not kicking Haynes out there. Maybe this guy will be, you know, a, a pioneer that leads to because if you think about it, the skill set is almost identical. You feel the only thing different is he's wearing pads and a helmet, which some people have surmised makes him feel even more fearless about it. You know, God, I'm not even running with a, I'm not even running bare. Uh, my head is protected here, and so I, this is even easier than doing rugby league in some ways. So he's already shown. I mean, uh, there was a catch he made in the last preseason game against Dallas where he ran and caught it over his head. A Willie Mays a Willie basket Mays. catch. Yes, I hear that's yes. been compared. Yeah, to. Yeah, in fact, uh, the very clever 49er writer Matt Barrows called him uh, immediately, dubbed him the Say Hain Kid. Uh, as you know, the Say Hey Kid being the statue of Willie Mays where you guys met before the awkward mm. handshake hug incident. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so oh, memorialized yeah. in the video now. But yeah, he that, that for him to go back and catch that ball over his head was something you don't see many American punt returners do at all. But that seems to be like something he would do in a rugby match. So so there is a, a, a natural match. And maybe this has just been waiting to be paired up for a while. Uh, or it could be that he's a one-off because he's had to accept a, a drastically reduced salary. B, a, a lack of adulation and fame that he gets in Australia. He's basically kind of unknown over here. Like he can walk the streets and still people wouldn't know him. Now they're starting to get to know him. And then I, I'm reading uh, Matt Burroughs again to reference the great 49er writer who we have on. He wrote about him. He drives around town in a used Mazda. His living accommodations are Spartan. And he's just, you know, it's, it takes a special guy to come over, accept all these sacrifices of glory and fame and money and just become, for lack of a better word, a grunt trying to make the team. And that's what he's doing. So he's showing a special mentality too to become, to go from the top rung of the ladder to the bottom rung of the ladder and try to work his way up. So that's what he's done. In addition to his athletic skills, he's impressing the 49ers with his uh, professional and maturity skills too. Uh, yeah, we have, uh, you've mentioned our, our video there, uh, video highlights of the San Francisco tour. Um, there is one 
sour note, though, uh, because when we were over there, uh, Brian, you did promise us uh, some Murph and Mac bobbleheads. Uh, <laughs> we came good on our hoodies for you guys in KNBR. You, a whole coterie, a, a vast ocean of people in KNBR. I'm telling you, every, I walk around the, the halls. Everybody's wearing them. <laughs> everybody's wearing them. Listen, I don't, and you pop- know, I don't, I want, I don't want to be, you know, a pain about this. But where the hell are our, are our bobble ha- heads, <laughs> Brian? Shoot! Here, I'm, uh, here's the deal. I'm sitting in my office at KMBR. You guys can picture that office, right? Yeah. You've been in it. You've seen that Spartan accommodations we have here. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many do we need? We need one for all the boys. What do we need? Five, six. What do we need? Oh, as many as you can. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure five would. I'm sure three would suffice, if we're being honest here, wouldn't it? Well, if, I mean, if you could send <laughs> well, five, know, that'd be better again. Does Ken need two, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, <laughs> I, one I, for I, home and one for the office. I sure to think what's happened to that San Francisco Giants baseball cap you gave Ken, uh, Brian. By I the way, uh, Ken, Ken unwittingly has become a soundbite on our show. Because Patrick Connor, our producer, was listening to your podcast after the, uh, uh, what's this called? Come on, you're a WWE guy. Uh, uh, you're Connor a star. McGregor. You're, uh, yeah, yeah. After the Conor McGregor fight, and when you guys had uh, had Ken on from Vegas, and you said Ken early, how was Saturday night? And he and he opened by with a huge pause grunt. He goes, "Oh, oh, Saturday night." <laughs> and uh, Patrick cut that sound and will now play it on occasion when it You're fits the flow me. of a conversation of a hungover guy or a guy who's a bit dazed after a big night out, etc. That has now become part of the Murph and Mac coterie. Oh so Ken right. will maybe get. Two more Giants hats and two more bobbleheads. Well, I was going to say, yeah, you can send the royalties along with the bobbleheads for, and we'll, we'll be sure that Ken gets it. <laughs> yeah. Listen, Brian, absolutely, uh, absolutely amazing, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Jared Ain, guys, Jared Ain. You like the song, lads? I didn't get your own and canvas your opinion on it. There. I have to say that song is extremely catchy. Jared Haynes. See, I, th- I think if you're gonna if you're gonna release a song about a, sport, uh, a sports team or a sports person. You just have to choose the tune that you're going to rip off very carefully. If you pick a really, really good tune, there's not a lot that you can do wrong from then on. Just don't make the 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 um, the lyrics too cringy. Uh, no, I thought to be I thought to be very introducing the commentator. I mean, that's that's kind that of that breaks a, it up a little bit. Yeah, really you're right. shows a deep you're understanding right. of what goes into making two and a half minutes of pop gold. Just one more uh, quick word on this. Why? NBA, I didn't get a chance to ask Brian there, but NBA teams are stuffed full of international superstars from Argentina, Spain. They've been there from China, France. Mm. Why is it that the NFL hasn't jumped aboard, aboard this bandwagon? Because um, basketball is played to a high level in the countries where those players come from, and American football isn't. And that's the end of that conversation. Last piece of news from today. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot going on. <laughs> the Americans just don't trust Johnny Foreigner. Seriously, did you have a did you have a theory about that? No, it was a question I was going to ask, and you've answered it. Okay. No, I, I mean I think that's that's probably well, that, right. One hundred percent is, which is why this, this conversation cannot possibly go any further unless we keep analysing it. Okay. And let's not do that. The Irish team has been named for the game against Wales on Saturday. The final chance for players to play their way in, or maybe even out of the World Cup squad. Simon, what's the team news? Yeah, first one that's close enough to a first team. Uh, Jack McGrath, Richard Strauss, Nathan White in the front row. Ian Henderson and Paul O'Connell, second row. Henderson potentially could be the starting second row in, in the World Cup. He's my tip for the top. Yeah. Uh, Peter Armani, Heaslip, and Jordy Murphy in the back row. Then Conor Murray and Sexton at halfback. 
Rob Henshaw and Luke Fitzgerald at second centre is probably the most interesting selection. Uh, Earls on the wing and then Dave Carney on the other wing, Rob Carney at full back. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the most interesting bit of it all is that Isaac Boss isn't on the subs bench. So maybe uh, this the, the idea that Madigan will be the third scrum half, that's getting a little bit of traction. Also, the other big news is that Keen Healy, according to Joe Schmidt, is recovering really well. Um, he has a chance of playing against England next weekend. Brilliant. So, um, yeah, they're obviously going to leave that to the very last minute. But the Irish Times sources are reporting now that the surgeon is going to give Healy clearance. So it might be one of those. He's not fully fit at the time that they've to name the squad, but that he'll actually be in, oh, the, yeah. in the World Cup. We've seen that one coming yeah. from a few weeks back. I think they're always yeah. going to, short of uh, his leg falling off, they're going to play him there. Just that two scrum half issue. This is The first I heard of this potentially happening is that Australia, Michael Cheka has only picked two recognised scrum halves for his squad. And then it was put to Les Kiss. Will you maybe do that as well? And Yuzi and Madigan... And he's, he didn't see, he seemed a bit flummoxed, but, well, not flummoxed, but he was saying, well, we haven't trained with Ian Madigan in that position, but it does seem like a possible runner now just to free up an extra space for an outside back. Yeah, I mean, the Irish management might even be going out of their way to give, not the wrong information, but just to, they just don't want anything leaking whatsoever. And Les Kiss will be, I'd say, paranoid about letting anything out of the bag without um, Joe Schmidt first giving it the all clear. But um, people talking about it being a risk, uh, trying out Madigan, um, a, he's skillful, he's got a good pass, that kind of stuff. But I think it'd be a risk to bring... Say your third scrum half was in great form, was really you know, top of his game, but Isaac Boss has been really patchy for the last season or so. So that's arguably as much of a risk, choosing him as, uh, as bringing in Madigan. Simon, you know, you know that I'm a maverick, don't you? Obviously. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at you with something here now, and you may not like it, OK? But, it better be rugby-related. Yeah, oh, do you? Well, it is. Don't worry, it's rugby-related. Uh isn't all of this debate about a 31-man squad and, say, the English have selected Sam Burgess and all the rest and there's, they're in high dudgeon over this as well. Isn't this really all about who gets to play, you know, 10 minutes against Namibia? Well, no, there's injuries. I mean, it's about the depth as you go into the tournament. Yeah. but like, For example, there... New Zealand lost two out halves, almost three in the last World Cup. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen, though. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that... This is what happens when you have like four warm-up games spread over a month before a squad's announced, that you end up talking instead of, right, Joe Schmidt is, as of right now, hatching a plan to beat what looks like an absolutely brilliant French team. And that's what's actually important in the Irish camp right now. We just don't know anything about it. So what we end up talking about is, are we going to bring a third scrum half or who's going to be the... You know, the third hooker well, that we bring. If the, yeah, if the third scrum half... If the option of only bringing two means that you can... Is the difference between bringing Simon Zebo or not, for example, it actually is potentially quite a big deal. Well, I think extra props is the thing really? you want to bring, especially if Keen Healy's dodgy, um, and we know that uh, Marty Moore is in a moon boot right up till this weekend. So if you're taking a risk on a prop, far better to take the risk with a third scrum half. So it is actually about your first liners as well and whether you can take a risk on them. All right, we'll wrap things up uh, at this stage. Thanks very much, Simon. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. Thank you, and thank it, you, Simon. It means, <laughs> it means little or nothing. <laughs> thank you, I've learned over the years, but thank you all. Do follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. Uh, we will, the football podcast, as you mentioned, is already out there. Uh, so have a listen to that if you get a chance. Thanks very much for listening to this one. See you later. Foot quickness?
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 